This is Framework Leadership. I'm Kent Engel, and you're listening to Framework Leadership, a podcast about how to bring your personal life organization to the next level. Well, today I'm sitting down with our nation's best sheriff, Sheriff Grady Judd. Grady Judd began his career at the Polk County Sheriff's Office in 1972 as a dispatcher, shortly began serving as the youngest deputy in the agency's history at the age of 19. Since then, he quickly progressed through the ranks and has held the title of sheriff since 2004. Judd is well known for his tell-it-how-it-is demeanor and his dedication to keeping his community safe. He's considered a local hero and truly embodies what it means to be a servant leader. Throughout his time serving as sheriff, I can tell you this, Polk County crime rates have hit an all-time low. So it's a pleasure to welcome your Sheriff Grady Judd to the Framework Leadership Podcast. Dr. Engel, thank you for allowing me to be with you today. It's great to have you. Well, let's get started with a little bit about your background. I mean, you grew up right here in in, in Lakeland, Florida, and even graduated from Lakeland High School. Uh, How did your upbringing play a role in your investment in, uh, in Polk County? Well, I can't ever remember a time in my life that I didn't want to be the sheriff be involved in law enforcement. I truly believe this has always been God's mission for me. And I was raised by a wonderful mother and father who taught me right from wrong. We not only attended church every time the church doors were open, many times we opened and closed the church doors. My dad was a minister of music. Mm. But my Christian faith has led me along the way. It's easy to understand the difference in right and wrong. And I have never wanted to do anything else. In fact, after all of these years, I wake up most mornings before the alarm goes off, excited to go to work for another day. You know, you attended Rollins College and received both bachelor's and master's degree from the school. And uh, and how did you find your place in leadership there? And, and when you first began school, did you... I mean, was that, as you said, you kind of wanted to be in law enforcement all along. So was that really preparing you for that exact uh, opportunity? I, I absolutely believe that it was. When when I went to college at Rollins, it, it was really a blessing. They had a federal program called LEAP, Law Enforcement Education Program. If you remember, we had just come out of the turbulent 60s there had been a commission that studied law enforcement and criminal justice and said, hey, we need to educate law enforcement officers. Well, believe it or not, I'd never heard of the commission at the time. I was just a kid. But even then, I had a vision that I wanted to be the best that I could be. The only way that you can be the best that you can be is with an education. Right. So I started at Polk Community College in my first two years before I transferred under the LEAP funds in police science because I thought, heck, what else can I do? Because at the time, you couldn't be a law enforcement officer until you were 21. Okay. But during that initial year, the federal law changed the legal age from 21 to 18. There was a lot of pushback about, hey, we can go fight a war in Vietnam, but we can't come back and sit in a sports bar, drink a beer, and watch a football game. So they changed the legal age from 21 to 18. So at 19, the sheriff then gave me an opportunity to be a deputy. He took a great chance because I was a kid. At 19, you're still learning your way through life. 
So I was going to college, working nights. I married my high school sweetheart. I tell everyone that was my first wife. (laughs) She's my current wife, wife, but she was my first wife. So I believe that throughout life, and it has everything to do with leadership and servant leadership, you have to have your priorities right. Until God's first in your life, nothing's going to work. But I believe in faith, family, and then the men and women of the women of the sheriff's office. And when I got those things in line, it worked well. But I think there's an innate ability in someone to be a visionary. I didn't recognize that at the time. I just knew I liked to work. And I was the kid in elementary school that sat in the back of the class. Do you know why? I wouldn't sit still. Mm. I was standing up and fidgeting. And today they may say he's hyperactive or something. And I still am, by the way. (laughs) But I always knew that I wanted to be the sheriff. And there's a lot of different steps in life to get there. It's not something you can accomplish by yourself or very quickly. So with a lot of great instructors from elementary school and certainly my college professors and a wonderful wife and God as the anchor and the center of my life, it all worked out. Now, when you joined the force, you quickly progressed through the ranks, holding every rank from, I believe, sergeant to colonel to now being sheriff. What what did that progression look like for you uh, on that journey? And how how did it, I mean, you quickly rose through the ranks. I, I really did. And there was what I call the perfect storm. The sheriff that hired me the very next term lost the election. And then there was an interim sheriff. Then there was a two-term sheriff. Then there was a two-year sheriff. There was a lot of conflict in the organization at that time. It was not as professional as we have today. So here I was the kid, but I was in college. I was very motivated. I volunteered for all the bad jobs. Anytime somebody said, do you need to do something, I'd raise my hand. So at 19, I was a deputy. At 22, I was a corporal. At 23, I was a sergeant. At 25, I was a lieutenant. And at 27, I was promoted to captain. 27, captain over all major investigations. In fact, all investigators are detectives at the sheriff's office. I tell everybody to relax. We're never going to promote another 27-year-old to captain or commander over investigations. Everyone was older than me. But I happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right attitude and the right education. And we were in need of leadership. And the ranks were pretty thin. I didn't have the competition for promotion then that the young men and women do today. Yeah. So at the age of 19, I mean, as you said, everyone was older than you. So I would assume that presented challenge, but challenges, but you overcame those challenges uh, because the promotion, you know, is the result of, of overcoming those challenges. What kinds of things did you do as you, uh, at the age of 19, to, to solidify that support that would, would create a promotion? Well, I never accepted no as a final answer. Okay. I thought no meant that my strategy was wrong. So I truly didn't mind continuing to pound the wall. Mm. 
I figured if I couldn't go over it, I couldn't go around it, I would go through it. I created friends. I listened to people because I was a kid and they'd say, hey kid, you're doing this wrong. But some want to hold you down because you are a threat to them. There's always gonna be competition for great jobs and great positions. And if you listen to others and they have bad advice for you, then you're in trouble. But I sought mentors and I looked around, no matter what work group I was in, I looked at the person that I thought was really the very best, the smartest, the most energetic, and I tried to emulate them and outwork them. And I found out there was a lot of people I worked with that I thought was a lot smarter than I was. But I found out that if you work harder than even the smartest people, you get ahead. Right. Yeah, that's good wisdom. Uh, let's move into a, a little bit of leadership here. You have a lot of people looking to you for leadership. What What is your leadership style or approach that allows you to do what you do best while empowering others that you're training, equipping, uh, and bringing up through the ranks? Sure. It all goes back to servant leadership. There are mechanics to manage. There are mechanics involved in managing systems. There are mechanics in managing people. But what's even more important than mechanics is interaction, personal interaction. You have to follow the mechanics for the process or the system to work. But if you're miserable to be around, people don't care how right. much you know. Right. So I tell everyone, you create work teams. There's every organization, every whether it be government or private, every organization has a different culture. And the goal is to ingrain yourself to the culture and then improve the culture. But how do you do that? By creating fun, friends, and mentors. So you mentor some and others are mentoring you. And then you listen and you take an interest in folks. On the very first day, I hire people. I suggest to them, you know, people don't need you in the good times. And they don't forget how you treat them during the bad times. And when I made that personal connection to the men and women that worked with me and for me, that's when it began to work. If their mom or dad passed away, I was at the funeral, I was at the viewing, I took food to the house. Mm -hmm. If they had a loved one or a child in the hospital, I was there. If they needed us to watch their other children, my wife and I, so that they could be available to go to the hospital, we did that. But if you don't care for the men and women that you're supervising, why should they care about you and your organization? So it's not just the person that you're working with, that you're leading, that you're supervising, but it's their family. If you don't love them and their family, there's no reason for them to support you or the industry or the business or the community. So at the end of the day, that's, to me, one of the goal sales. Now, you still have to hold people accountable. Right. I tell folks that supervising is being a good parent. You certainly correct bad behavior. You coach, you lead, 
And good supervisors catch mistakes early on when it can be corrected with retraining and coaching and counseling rather than reprimands and suspensions and terminations. Supervisors that aren't successful will let their people run amok until finally they get in so much trouble they can't help them out. But I think it's a teaching and a coaching. Mm. And that's what you're doing is you're teaching the young men and women that work with you how to do the job better. And you challenge them and you let them do the job. And I encourage mistakes because people who work make mistakes. And people who work hard make more mistakes. And we can fix mistakes. There's nothing that can happen at work that we can't fix as long as we're honest, ethical, and moral. Mm -hmm. And that's a requirement. Mm -hmm. Day one, I meet with everyone. My agency is over 1,700 full-time members, over 1,000 deputies, and over 3,500 volunteers. Mm -hmm. So altogether, about 5,000 people make up the sheriff's office. And I meet with them all. I look them eyeball to eyeball. We hire like once a month. And I said, if you're honest, ethical, and moral, you deliver customer service with a sense of urgency, you talk to people and treat people the way you'd want your mama treated, if she were the victim of the crime or she were stopped on the side of the road, we'll never have any problems here. Hmm. And we're going to give you all the tools to be successful. All you have to do is agree to work hard, have a positive attitude, and love to serve people. We are public servants. We're here to serve. People who get badge heavy, people who think it's all about them, they're not successful in our organization. Great work values, wow. Um, you frequently work with young people and have even taught as an adjunct professor. Uh, what's one piece of leadership advice that you would give young people that are starting out, maybe just graduating uh, from college and, and setting out. What's, what's that? I mean, you've, you've, you've already talked about some tremendous values, but what would be one key advice as they start the journey? Well, I began my career teaching in the police academy. And then for 23 years, I was an adjunct at one of the local, one of the local colleges and the University of South Florida. So I've had 23 years in direct interactions with students. And you know what I've found? Their energy, their enthusiasm, their brilliance is unparalleled. They just, they soak information up like a sponge. All you have to do is be a mentor and a coach to them and point them in the right directions, give them the mechanics and teach them how to do the job. But most important, and this was very difficult for me to learn, very difficult. I don't know that I've learned it yet very well. Sometimes it takes patience. It always takes intuitiveness. Mm. It always takes hard work. It always takes never giving up. It always takes caring for the people you serve. So when you plug all the different elements together and say, look, I'm going to be successful in this field of endeavor because I love it, I want to help others, I want to be successful, I want to drive the big car, have the big house someday, 
So I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save my money. I'm going to help people. I'm going to tithe at my church. I'm going to be involved with the community. But more importantly, I recognize my job is to make other people's life better. When you help other people, that reward comes back to you 10 times 10,000. Wow. I want to ask you a couple of more questions, and then we'll close this uh, this powerful interview out. Uh, I always do a quick lightning round of quick questions, and, and uh, we'll do that here in just a minute. But um, Polk County crime rates, wow, they're at an all-time low. And definitely that is the result of your leadership. What would you say plays the biggest part in continuing to keep that low day by day? Well, first and foremost, I have the greatest men and women I could ever ask for that work with me at the sheriff's office. But you have to create environment as a leader. You have to give opportunity. You have to give training and education. You have to empower them to do the job. And then it, it's past just the mechanics of being just a good law enforcement officer. How well do we communicate with the people we work for? And that's the people of Polk County or the people of whatever community or business you're doing. I have found when you inspire the community around you, when you create trust and you have to give trust first before you get trust in return, things work out. Our crime rate was 8.24 crimes per hundred per year in 1989. This last year, they were 1.52 crimes per hundred per year Hmm. in this unincorporated area that we serve. And it all boils down to empowering the men and women of the sheriff's office, challenging them to not only be law enforcement officers, but more importantly, be community partners to give trust, to build trust, to love people and help them in their endeavors. When you go above and beyond, and you have to understand the mechanics of the business, and we teach and coach that, and we do that internally, then your crime rate falls. But more importantly than crime falling, if people don't feel safe, even though they are safe, Perception becomes reality. So we not only have a low crime rate, there is a perception that it's safe in our community. That's because of partnerships we build with the community, and that occurs through social media, that occurs through newspapers, television, radio, personal appearances, and personal interest. But when someone can come to us with a problem and we solve it and make their life better, there is nothing better in the leadership world. So I tell all of my deputies, we may be supervisors internally, you're supervisors to the world. And speaking of partnerships, uh, we're grateful that Southeastern University has a partnership with the Polk County Sheriff's Office. You uh, do all of our security, provide our security, and we're extremely grateful One of the things that we were able to launch together uh, was in 2016, the Sentinel program, which um, 
uh, creates a, a powerful security layer, layer for us, especially uh, addressing the issue of active shooter incidents. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that program and how it has served as a catalyst for really the state of Florida. I believe it's the Guardian program that began to model after the Sentinel program. Talk uh, about how important that is. Sure. Dr. Engel, the most important things that can occur in a school environment, a house of worship environment, business or at home is to be safe. We know we have a new world and a new normal. We know that evil reigns throughout the state and the nation. I had an idea, a vision to keep people safe. And quite frankly, I met with several leaders of public institutions after studying in detail these active shooters at houses of worships, businesses, and specifically schools. You were the only one that had the leadership and the vision to say, we can do more and we want to be the ones that create this program with you. And together, because of your leadership, we have an incredibly safe university here, but it went further than that. We started with a Sentinel program that your staff and my staff developed together. And then when we had the horrible Marjorie Stoneman Douglas massacre, the shooting at the high school in Broward County, it was our Sentinel program that the Florida legislature adopted. They added 12 hours to it and renamed it the Guardian Program, but it is exactly the program that you and I and our staffs developed together. And as a result, students are safer now all across this state in public schools than ever before. But it started with the two of us going, we can't accept things the way they are. Right. We need to make things the way they should be. And as a result, this program gets stronger. I have consulted with people now all over the United States and I brag on Southeastern University and the vision and the opportunity that you created because you led the way. And I was able to say, there's a large, very impressive university that has this program in place and it's successful. And the parents like to know that their children, our students are safe. So as a result, we have an environment in the state of Florida where the children are safer than they've ever been in school. And we are, we are so grateful to serve li uh, right alongside you in this program. And I'll tell you, it is true. The number one question parents ask when they bring their students on this campus, what are your layers of safety and security? And to be able to talk about the Sentinel program, just uh, you can see it come on their face, they're relieved to know that we have that in place. So we're grateful. Well, let's close this podcast out with a quick fire round of three questions. I always ask every guest that I have on here. Uh, so the first one is simply this. You have a day when your calendar's cleared. You've been mandated by the sheriff's office to have a perfect day off. What does a perfect day off look like for you? A perfect day off is my number one hobby is nature and landscape photography. It's to take the most important person in my life, my wife, who has finally agreed to be a landscape and nature photographer just so she can be with me. She'd rather sit home and read books. 
<laughs> take our cameras, go out into the woods with nature. I feel closest to God when I'm either on the water or in the woods seeing nature and to spend the entire day photographing God's creatures and the beautiful landscape that he's given us. That's gotta be a great day. What historical leader, uh, living or dead, would you most like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with? Gosh, there are so many. I think George Washington was a visionary. He arrived, did what he needed to, served his country, and then left office better than he found it. I also love Ronald Reagan. I think Ronald Reagan was the master communicator. So it takes hard work, good mechanics, but if you can't vision for the future and communicate with those you serve, nothing works. So between George Washington and Ronald Reagan, that would be my two. Great conversations. Final question. What's your next big dream you'd like to accomplish? You know, that is probably the most challenging thing of my life. My next big dream is to help the next person that needs my help. Mm. I've been asked, courted to run for House of Representatives, State Senate. I don't want to do that. I like being the county sheriff. This is the mission field that God has allowed me to have. I love it every day. I don't want to enter that political soup and nuts and all that that goes on. That's not for me. I'm the guy who wants to follow God's will. If he shuts this door, he'll open another one. But just being the sheriff of this community is all I really want to do and serve the community. Well, thank you, uh, Sheriff Judd, for being with us today. I mean, you are a courageous, strong, empowering leader, and uh, we're so grateful that you serve as our sheriff. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. For more on Sheriff Grady Judd and the Polk County Sheriff's Office, you can visit www.polksheriff.org. That's www.polksheriff.org. Thanks for joining us again on Framework Leadership. To connect with Kent, visit kentingle.com. Also make sure to follow him on Twitter at Kent Ingle and on Facebook at Kent.ingle. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership.